coronavirus disease that brought much of China to a standstill in January and February has spread around the world in a pandemic. The United Nations chief, Antonio Guterres, has called the worst crisis since World War II. Nigeria has not been exempted, and over the last few weeks, a little over 100 people tested positive for the virus. The bulk of the cases are in Nigeria's two major cities, Lagos and Abuja. And although so far only two people have died from the virus, the authorities are worried enough that they have introduced restrictions and measures to try and curb the spread of the disease. Hello and welcome to Now, our brand new podcast that will look at the effect of the COVID-19 pandemic across all aspects of our lives. I am Kadria Ahmed. And I am Funke Treasure. On today's episode, we speak to the Managing Director of Sterling Bank, Mr. Abubakar Suleiman, on the economic impact of the pandemic. Um, I think the crisis has reminded us about how critical people are in the day-to-day functioning of the economy. A-list Nollywood star and celebrity Kate Henshaw talks to us about keeping fit during the lockdown. At five, even before five, um, to do my run, uh, my stretches, and do what we call HIIT, which is High um, Interval Intensity Training. First, we look at the state of affairs across Nigeria. We start with the eastern part of Nigeria and what is being done to contain the spread of COVID-19. Ekene Odigwe reports from Inu. The lab of Alex Ekweme Federal Teaching Hospital at Bakaliki, Ebon State, was activated for COVID-19 testing yesterday. This brings a number of COVID-19 testing labs in Nigeria to seven. Mr. Emmanuel Asieme is the community-based treatment specialist and referral focal person at the hospital. He says the lab is already experiencing high traffic of people waiting to be tested. We also have a call for people to come test, uh, but uh, it is not done so crowded so because um, for now there is some level of restriction in the state. Nobody comes in, nobody goes out. And then um, following the fact that some level of civil servants are directed to stay at home. So the place is kind of uh, dry. Uh, so people who come to test are mainly people who are very close to the virological center, the testing center, the medical staff. But there are people, I think it made compulsory for them, those ones who came into the state from one way or the other, the, they were moved to the stadium. So for some days of observation. From there, they will be moved to the testing center to be tested, and then they will be released for their people. To cushion the economic effects of the coronavirus pandemic, the federal government has, among other things, rolled out palliative measures and inaugurated a presidential tax force team. Some states in the southeast are, in turn, replicating same at the state level. The first local government in Enugu State not only launched a task force for COVID-19, but also created a COVID-19 relief fund. The fund, according to the chairman, Ifanyago, will be used to manage 
the effects of COVID-19 lockdown and disburse some funds to the residents. Government will stand behind you strongly to make sure that this thing, because it's an ongoing fight, it is an ongoing struggle. We are not going to relent or that pussy here today. Government has gone ahead in, in being proactive, like in Doma Abede. We have gone ahead to make me, to create measures like you combat here the hunger, agogadi when we are locked down in our various homes. We have put together a trust fund, UDI, local government COVID-19 relief fund. Today the account, the account number gadi publicized and then we're also calling on stakeholders that are well to do to help support this thing we are doing the trust fund we bag issue any way for they go it's a feed in the name of how to feed themselves those of us that are a little bit well to do can manage until it gets to a point where we might have to also increase our efforts but because you need have a collective fight let's put hands together adhere to simple rules and instructions and it will be well for all of us Thank you very much. Still in Enugu, the Obwete main market has been shut down by the Enugu state government till further notice. This was occasioned by the fallout that happened during the visits of the combined team of state government officials led by Governor Fanyu Gwani and heads of security agencies in the state who were at the market to ascertain compliance with government's order of closing the markets and borders. Following the non-compliance by traders and the urgent need to start the fumigation of the market, the state government ordered the immediate closure of the market, including adjoining sections. Nanye Lugoche de Aro is the state commissioner for information. He explains more. Two things were actually achieved by this committee on that visit yesterday. One was to shut the market to ensure strict compliance with that order. Two was to start immediate fumigation for purposes of the contamination of the market. We did not put time to our orders in Enugu. Okay. They are reviewed critically as the multi-sectoral committee and all the heads of security agencies advise. And that's it from the Southeast. It's back to you now. In Benue State in north-central Nigeria, there was some drama as a lady identified as the index case for the virus in the state denied she was infected and, according to the authorities, resisted attempts to isolate her. Elizabeth Amanyi reports. Positive or negative? That's the controversy brewing in Benue State. As the state's COVID-19 index case is insistent, she is not a carrier of the coronavirus. The lady in question protested against her stay at the Bernard State University Teaching Hospital, denying the accuracy of the result by NCDC. The Deputy Governor of the state, Engineer Benson Abono and Chairman of the Action Committee on COVID-19, had this to say. And so when this result came in on Saturday morning, the committee moved again very swiftly to the hospital and requested this young lady, or this lady, to be transferred to the treatment center at the university teaching hospital. She resisted from two o'clock until seven o'clock in the evening, because according to her, she did not believe in the result. At the end of the day, she was transferred to the university teaching hospital. Yesterday. A team of medical doctors went over there to take her vital statistics and review her case. Again, 
she became somehow agitated and she was not yielding. She didn't want anybody to treat her. And representative of NCDC, Professor of Public Health, Professor Stephen Abba, was in Bern State as well. NCDC is very interested in this case. NCDC has sent me down to assist and work with the team of ground to ensure that we strengthen the process that is already on and that the desire from what I have seen of the government and the headquarters that I met on ground here is to ensure that whoever comes down with the disease in this state is able to walk free again and that no other person on account of that will come down to the treatment center. Right now, the NCDC has confirmed that the index case is actually positive for the coronavirus. And that's the report from Bernard State. Abuja, Nigeria's federal capital, is one of the places put on lockdown by the federal government. Dr. Theresa Mwachuku is a public health expert and heads the federal capital's response team to COVID-19. She told us how her team is responding to the pandemic. Right, so Abuja is, uh, is stable. We have been um, testing um, cases. We, of course, we know that um, next after Lagos, we have the um, highest number of cases. We, uh, we have several testing centers right now. Our positive cases have been uh, moved to the isolation center and are being managed. We have the mortality of two. And um, so basically, that's the situation in Abuja right now. We have positive cases. Many of them are stable. And so we're testing. We're getting ready just in case there's a surge in the numbers. Okay. There have been sharp criticisms from um, some residents of Abuja that testing centers are problematic to access. Uh, can you kindly tell us where the testing centers in Abuja are? Right now, um, we go out to take samples from people. And um, it's people who call in, they're directed to where they can get the test done. Now, what happens is people call into the NCDC, the NCDC sends those numbers to us, and we follow up with them. As I speak to you now, we have over 15 teams going out into the, into the communities to take samples from people and take them to the treatment center. And, and so the NCDC also will direct people to the right places for testing, or we go in to meet them in their homes. So I, I don't know if people think that the, the testing centers are difficult to, to assess. So we have a um, team made up of um, sample collectors, an assistant, and an epidemiologist. And so when the teams come, every day before we close for the day, we set up the paths for individuals. I mean, hundreds of paths are on ground. So when everything, anything that is ready, we get them. And the previous that we have received, the alert from NCDC, and we triage, and we have a list of people who are going to test. And so each team comes and we give them the names of people, we give them an area to go, and they go out. So each team goes out with like six to seven um, men or households that they're going to test. And so for 15 teams, you can imagine how many samples they're going to take in a day. How many tests did you get to do with this number of teams? It depends on the alert we get. Like yesterday, we tested over 50 people because of the alert. Those were the alerts we received. Um, somebody called into the NCDC call center. Oh, I traveled to the UK. I got back and I have a headache. I have a fever and a sore Of course, we send people to, to do it. So it is those alerts and people who reach to us. 
So it depends. It changes a day. We could do as many as 70 tests in a day. To, the minimum we have done so far has been like 50 test samples in a day. Okay, do you think this is meeting the needs of Abuja residents? Do you think you have enough people to cover the communities? We responded to 100% of the calls we had yesterday. At the end of every day, for instance, I, 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 I am on that desk. I do an analysis of how many alerts we received, how many did we respond to, and how many did we recommend for testing. And for yesterday, today is still unfolding. So, but for yesterday, 100% of those who called in and who were credited for testing were tested. And how severe are these cases that you've uh, encountered so far? Very minimal. There many, almost all of the cases that we have tested are just mild. Um, I mean, you walk into their homes to, to test them, and they're just fine. Um, people have very minimal fevers. And nobody is in, in serious respiratory distress. So... Um, we're not having severe symptoms right now. There's nobody that needs um, like serious care. The two, um, you would know that um, we have recorded two mortalities in the FCC. Those two mortalities were already people with pre-existing conditions, very already very sick, and um, already had um, situations that made them more vulnerable to the virus. But the majority, every other person that we have tested so far is stable, is fine. Even the positive cases that we have, um, they're quite so we don't have anyone in severe respiratory distress right now. Okay, in the case of uh, escalation in some of these cases or, you know, they're developing into more complex uh, cases, how many ventilators do we have? Are they enough? How many? I cannot confirm that to you now. Maybe we'll need to talk to the case management team. They would have that uh, detail so that I don't give you the wrong numbers. But the case management team would be in a position to give you exact numbers of ventilators on ground. The lockdown is taking its toll on people, especially the most vulnerable among us, according to Mrs. Josephine Effa Chukuma, founder of the Project Alert, a non-governmental organization that deals with violence against women. The whole issue of the impact of the lockdown in these three states, Lagos, Abuja, um, FCT and Ugu State, um, the impact on women is still not being really um, considered and um, factored in. But for some of us um, in the industry, some of us who are activists, some of us who are in the, who are in the front lines working on issues of violence against women and gender-based violence, we started receiving reports on the impact of this lockdown. Um, to break it down specifically, when we say lockdown, you're saying people should stay at home 24 hours, seven days a week. For we are talking of families where already there was abuse, for instance, which um, during for I mean for such families, um, the period of going to work was a, a period for of respite. You know, okay, at least he's going to work, or okay, she's going to work. Okay, the children are out of the house. So um, whoever is, I mean, the woman especially who. Uh, who is on the receiving end will have some little respite. Okay, they are not coming back, or it's not coming back till 6 o'clock, or it may not even come until 10 p.m. Now they have to face each other 24 hours, seven days a week, for God knows how long. So in homes where already there was violence, this violence is assuming a higher proportion. We've started receiving reports. we started receiving reports from as far as Zaria, you know, where a woman 
was beaten by the husband and sent out. And she had to walk the street at night and look for a bus to go to Kaduna, where her family is. Our fear is that they would only increase with this lockdown because people are made to just sit in one place and face whatever they are, they are, I mean, deal with whatever they are dealing with. All right, so what should we begin to do as a people? Um, at this critical time, and for us as an organization project a lot, what we're doing is um, we, we, we started, we are, our social media handles are very uh, um, alive and well. Um, we, when we, for the few calls we've gotten, in, what we're telling the women, what we try to advise them is how best to keep safe, how best to keep safe. Because at this point in time, we are not just talking about physical um, um, health, but also, like you rightly said, mental health. A lot of us, a lot of people are going to lose it during this period. Oh. A lot of people will need, you know, need help. And where will they get this help from? On a good day, a woman reports domestic violence, the police are not helpful. On a good okay. day, on a normal day. Okay. Then okay. you can imagine. Uh, let, me, let, let me just jump in there. So what do we begin to do to mitigate um, the danger for those at risk of, uh, of um, domestic violence? Well, the first one, one fundamental thing we need to do is let's be there to talk to them. Let's 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 keep our let let's keep I mean our handles open. Let's let's keep our ears open. If we get to know, you know, we talk to them. How best can they keep safe? Is I mean, it's is is it playing of music? Is it reading of a novel? What can just I mean, give you some some measure of sanity, you know? And uh, and if there's a, a physical abuse. You know, when we try to tell the women, how can you avoid it? If it's, if it's passing by the parlor where he's sitting, he's going to bring an abuse, please stop. The, just, just don't pass by the parlor when he's seated there. Yeah, it, it, it is, oh, am, I, am I afraid of him or am I a fool? No. You need to be alive and well for you to, you know, uh, uh, follow up on some of these issues. Because no matter, if we must be honest with ourselves, you know, the services available Definitely, right now would be. I mean, it's it's, it's 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 at low capacity compared to when all the offices were open and all of that. Numbers are in Lagos State. Numbers have been sent out. The domestic and sexual violence response team have sent out its number. Uh, a couple of organisations have, including us, and then we have, like I said, our social media handles. So, more, most importantly, is being there to respond. If it's an inbox sent to you, direct message or whatever, a phone call. Having someone to even talk to, having someone to even hear you out and calm you down, you know, is a very important thing right now. Okay, you know? if a woman then, is being battered or is being abused at the moment, what can, can you get to that woman as soon as possible? What line should she call? You know, that what for us at Project Alert. The medium we are using for communication now is direct messaging via our Twitter handle, our Facebook, and our Instagram pages. So, and we are receiving some of that. So we can, we are doing counselling online through this medium, talking to them. You know, what best can you do? What's the situation back home? Um, what, do, what, what does your apartment look like? How many of you are there? What 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 are the triggers? If we know the triggers, you know, we try to advise. We try to counsel. Because movement now, especially in Lagos, is almost impossible. Because, I mean, if you don't have a paper uh, permitting you to move, if you move out, that could be so. Even for us to drive out now is a problem. 
right now, at least during this time. So what we are trying to do is how best, how best within, realistically, how best can we cancel them? Okay, so, so given that, what do you think is government's responsibility in safeguarding our mental health at this critical time? Well, at this critical time, I think one thing, um, and I'll go back a bit to uh, President Mohamed Buhari's speech, um, one thing for some of us that we found missing was that nothing was said about um, the impact of COVID-19, especially on women, you know, and what is going on. So at this point in time, I think uh, medical facilities, hospitals, those on essential services, you know, um, um, psychologists, we were talking to um, um, Dr. Mimuna Kaduri the other day, you know, should be available because this is going to spike. And um, so we need counselors, we need psychologists to be on the alert, to have lines, you know, um, to respond to this to this issue government on its own part should also like i said the domestic and sexual violence response team of Lake, i don't know what's going on in abuja but in lagos here uh, they've sent out their numbers asking women who are going through um, such situations so please come and there'll always be someone to talk to them you know, having someone to talk to you is i mean at this point in time is comforting One of the most worrying things about this global pandemic is that already it has wreaked havoc with the global economy. But how bad is the situation? And in Nigeria specifically, which depends largely on oil revenue and has seen prices tumble, what will be the long and short term impact? These are some of the questions I discussed with the MD of Sterling Bank, Mr. Abubakar Suleiman. Um, I think the crisis has reminded us about how critical people are in the day-to-day -day functioning of the economy. Um, no matter how much we value capital, how much we value the manufacturing process, without people, it all comes down to uh, nothing, and that's what we're seeing. Um, and it is bad because the longer people are kept away from the production process, um, the harder it will hit the economy, the harder it will hit um, employment, um, government revenue. Uh, so this is this is bad. I think there's no pretending. Uh, un unless people can move around and go to work, uh, this is going to continue to really dig a hole into the economy. Now this is something that has come somewhat of a surprise, particularly to people, amateurs like myself, that may not necessarily understand the workings of the economy, because in the last few years, we've been hearing about technology, technology, how it has become critical to everything. In fact, there are people who have suggested as, uh, that, that there will come a time when people might become irrelevant, and yet here we are. Um, so the outcome of this, uh, this challenge, coming out of this, we're going to live with two things. One is that we'll be reminded of how important people are in getting things done. But also, we would also realize that there are a lot of things that people can get done without being necessarily present. And that would change the way the production processes work. The reason why the impact has been so uh, devastating is that we have a process. It is a very predictable process. It's a supply chain. Everybody does their bit, and then we end up with products in the market. If you disrupt that at any point throughout the chain, the whole thing comes down to it standing to, to halt. And that is what has happened. There's been a disruption. First, it started with China, and then it moves on further. And then we've got to a point where the entire supply chain is not working. 
and therefore goods are not getting from manufacturing to the end users. So yeah, people would always remain important, but how people participate in the economy will change. And I think this crisis would actually hasten that process. Now, if we try to bring this home to a place like Nigeria, what are we facing, essentially? I think the first thing is that there are things that are too critical to be left at the mercy of the global supply chain. That is the most important lesson that I'm taking from here. You cannot leave everything to China. Certain things you must localize. Uh, the second thing is that if you... Uh, like, like what? Like what? Like what? Can we be specific? Like in, the sector, in, in the health sector, for instance, you must build some level of um, self-sufficiency in critical medical care, uh, in drugs, for instance. Imagine the drug value chain. Once you no longer have impure, the entire pharmaceutical industry will come to a halt. So while we must look for the best economics by going to the low-cost producers, Certain critical infrastructure must be self-sufficient. We need to make that call, identify what those things are, and make sure that we can actually produce those things. The second part of it is we must build resilience. Um, when your, uh, your economy has no resilience, the impact is always devastating when there's a disruption. If you look at the fiscal side of government today, we did not have resilience because we had no savings, and we therefore are immediately impacted by the collapse in oil price. If you look at the health sector, we did not have sufficient um, um, medical care infrastructure and health workers. And so the moment you put the system on that strain, it collapses completely. Um, if you move away from that and you go into manufacturing, all it takes right now is just a month or two of lack of impute. Uh, for the manufacturing sector to immediately begin to collapse because, again, we're all doing just in time and we have just enough to keep producing. But a little disruption in the supply process or in the pot uh, process will then mean that the uh, companies um, are, are immediately disrupted. So there is a need to balance uh, the price efficiency that you gain from global trade with some level of um, national security concern. That means that you will also... Um, have to build resilience into your systems. But given that um, we are where we are, and that resilience has not been built, um, like you've pointed out, across certain things, whether it's the physical discipline, whether it is things um, um, like our health care, whether it's manufacturing, what are we going to see in this country as far as our economy is concerned in the next three weeks, one month, two months? Um, I think there is clearly a lot of collaboration in response to the crisis. So when faced with um, what amounts to an existential risk, people tend to come together, and I've seen significant public-private um, partnership to, to, to deal with the issues. I've seen communities rising together. So that is going to last for a while, and I hope that that will form the basis for some reform. The second thing that I, I um, clearly see happening is recognizing that oil is not going to fund our infrastructure ambition over the next couple of years. Um, and therefore, if we're waiting for government to fund infrastructure, we might as well forget about infrastructure. I expect to see us leaning towards more private sector approach to funding infrastructure. 
um, that, that is something that should happen this year because we then realize that not only are we going to struggle to balance the budget in 2020, we may actually struggle in 2021. The long-term implication for this is um, the famous uh, over-dependence on oil because I think beyond the crisis itself, the ongoing battle um, between Saudi Arabia and Russia would have long-lasting impact on the oil sector, and that should hopefully um, bring an end to our dependence on oil, because once it is then not possible to fund our ambition with oil, we should then begin to think of other ways of doing so. And in terms of just um, short-term impacts, I mean, I, I, I know as a banker that you sort of have, if you like, the global picture, even um, um, for the Nigerian economy. But what the, 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 the woman selling pepper in the market, the guy who pushing a barrel, who basically lives on a day-to-day -day basis, he works, he earns money, and he eats. Um, how is all this going to affect those kind of um, Nigerians? Um, the immediate concern is their ability to um, to meet their basic needs during the, the lockdown. Um, it's really difficult when you have to earn um, your income daily to be able to survive. But we've seen some responses. We've seen Lagos State setting out to distribute essential uh, goods to people who are in lockdown. Um, it is very difficult, again, because the logistics is, is hard. We don't have a, you know, decent database of the people who are in this category. Um, coming back from this, the bigger concern for me is that if unemployment were to spike, uh, it means that demand will come down. And in, when the demand weakens, irrespective of what aspect of the economy you are, you're going to feel it. So I worry about unemployment then leading to lower demand and therefore um, you know, further impoverishment for the day workers. And um, given that we already have multiple um, issues around uh, security, so Boko Haram, kidnapping, um, armed robbery, all of that, is there a danger that our social fabric could further be stretched? Um, there is always that, and I don't think it's only in Nigeria. I think across the board we've seen societies um, coming to the brink of collapse. Uh, but what I also see is that under difficult circumstances, people tend to, um, I guess, be a lot more uh, focused on, on solving problems. So we could actually see a government that is a lot more focused on solving some of the issues. Uh, we've definitely seen a private sector that is more willing uh, to provide support in this process. So I'm counting on our spirit as Nigerians to rise up to the occasion. In terms of the sort of immediate uh, steps that government uh, needs to take, especially around trying to mitigate the damage that we're seeing um, because of the price of crude, what are the sort of things that need to be done like almost instantly? Um, at the end of the day, when you can't do anything about the revenue, you must then focus on the cost. Uh, because there are no short-term ways to solve our revenue problem. The only thing you can think of is divesting of non-core assets, which the government has been... Uh, they've considered, but in my view, they've been reluctant to, to put that on the front burner. Um, because you can't borrow now. The market uh, is going to shut down for a while. Uh, you obviously can't earn from oil. The price challenge is going to last for 
a while. Um, and clearly, it's not a good idea to uh, ease liquidity too much because, again, that could create inflationary pressure. So faced with that, government needs to identify aspects of their expenses that are not critical to growth, that can be delayed. Um, you know, things that don't create local consumption, I think those are things that can be deferred. We've had instances where if you look at the amount of money we spend on our foreign mission, this, are, this is a time where you can look at that and try to trim it a bit. Uh, if you look at the amount of money we also spend on traveling, uh, it's a huge amount of money when you look at the entire government uh, and how much we spend on foreign travel. These are things that you can cut down so you're able to fund the rest of your budget. There have also been suggestions in some quarters that we need to quickly look at devaluing the Naira and allowing the market to basically determine um, its cost. Is this something that you think has to be done as a matter of urgency or not? That's a difficult one uh, because irrespective of the decision we take, there are consequences. Um, it's also not my view that currency adjustment should happen under pressure. You don't get the best value from adjusting currency when there are pressure points. You are better off um, allowing currency adjustment when you have set up the mechanism to benefit from it. Uh, so it's a difficult one. It's not one that I'm able to answer because, again, I don't have all the data points. Uh, what I can say is that uh, there is a bit of difficulty. I think that uh, we should be prepared to adjust our demand. Uh, to be able to cope with, with this period. I mean, the, the, from the outside looking in, and I might be wrong about this, it looks as if the policy is that there should be some degree of uh, defending the Naira that should take place. And people are saying we simply do not have enough Forex. And since we're not earning, this is like a foolhardy way to go about it. Um, the, every, every economy has some ways of... Um, pushing for the exchange rate that is best for, for in, the, in, the, in the best interest of the country. People do it. It's going to be either through monetary policy or fiscal policy or trade policy, right? So it's a combination of all of that is intended to achieve optimal exchange rate for the currency of the country. Um, defending in, in that sense may be something that is almost normal, right? Um, the Chinese economy, for instance, benefits from having a weaker yuan, and there are policies that are put in place to ensure that the yuan doesn't become too strong. And I think we all ap appreciate that. It's about the tools that you use. It's about it not being left only to the monetary side. We need to see actions from the fiscal side that would help strengthen or at least prevent a uh, weakening of the Naira. And we actually need to see action from individuals, from the private sector, driving uh, import substitution, for instance, or supporting the agricultural sector so that we can produce the food that we need. So it's, it's not just a policy issue. It is a policy issue, and there are also practical steps that every individual can take to um, achieve what I would call optimal exchange rate for the Naira. Finally, what in your view is the rest of 2020 going to look like? Um, it needs to be a year of discipline. I think we need to see a lot of discipline from individuals to manage the potential second wave of infection. So we, once we are done with the lockdown and we've been able to manage the infection, we need to continue with the discipline as individuals. 
We also need to see personal discipline in the financial space because irrespective of where you are, this will impact you in some form, whether you are a, someone who is a hawker on the street or you're a billionaire, there is some implication for you financially. So we need to have personal discipline to try and make what we have go much further. We need to have institutional discipline, um, irrespective of what sector you are. There's some implication for you. You need to be able to do more with less. Uh, and we need to have uh, discipline as a nation. We need to figure out what we can do without so that we can survive this and, and hopefully uh, have a much better 2021. So I would say the key word is discipline. The Managing Director of Sterling Bank, Abubakar Suleiman there. Now, outside the economic issues that Nigeria and its citizens will face, there are concerns about people's physical health and the effects of a lockdown. A-list Nollywood actor Kate Ensure is big on fitness and told us what she is doing to maintain our health at this critical time. For me, basically, it's to wake up as early as I can because, I mean, I'm a morning person. I wake up as early as 5, even before 5, um, to do my run, uh, my stretches, and do what we call HIIT, which is High inter um, Interval Intensity Training. And this High is Intensity high intensity interval training so it consists a lot of uh, body weight exercises um jumping jacks squats um lunges just in a space of maybe one minute per exercise and then you repeat it it gets the blood pumping gets your your, your energy levels up you know that's just to make you active what about people who live in densely populated areas of our communities? Uh, that, that will be a, a problem because of lack of space. But if they have children with them, they can, I mean, cleaning the house, tidying your home is a form of um, activity. Mm. Um, there's a football. If your children have a ball, you can work out with it. There's a skipping rope you can skip in the little area that you can. I mean, skipping is, is just going to work as well as every other exercise, jogging on the spot. So you just minimal space. I mean, if it's densely populated, then involve your children or yourself, tidy your home. This is the time to do spring cleaning. You know, any activity that gets you mobile, hmm. it's something that will help you. From the point of view of diet, you know, yes. in terms of what we consume, um, it is true that, you know, when you're sedentary, when you have nothing to do, the tendency is to eat. What yes. could we do around the things that we consume that um, could make um, us sort of have a healthier lockdown if, if, if so? In as much as um, there, is, there is food control, portion control, it's very important. Use it smaller plates to plate your food and that of your family, more vegetables and fruit. I know it might seem like uh, it's a rich man's ideal, mm. but vegetables, F4, mm. ugu, you know, we're very rich in good source of iron and all of that in our meals, but people tend to go overboard. Now, even when you control your eating, exercise does the rest for you. Part of the complaints I've heard um, regarding this lockdown is that it takes its toll mentally on people. Yes. Is there a connection between our mental health and exercise? Absolutely. Absolutely. Exercise starts from the mind because your body will not go where your mind does not take it. It will not. If you are not in tune 
with exercising you're going to hate it when the pains come you're not going to know how to deal with it now the mind is very very strong if you train your mind to accept that this physical exercise this physical part of your life is going to benefit you you will deal with it i mean look at athletes okay maybe i'm going too far you are you see people <laughs> <laughs> there are people who have seen testimonials i mean especially since i started my work out a few years ago who are not happy with their weight and they've started to do something they've started to eat less they've started to exercise more consistency over time now people make the erroneous impression of saying oh in three months no mm. it's not a destination it's a lifestyle you have to take it as part of you waking up brushing your teeth and going to work you must cover out that time 10 15 minutes 30 minutes don't go aboard overboard like me i do two three hours because my time is mine mm. but 10 15 minutes can get you sweating regular intervals monday wednesday friday tuesday thursday saturday get a routine mm. everything in life must have a routine you must have a routine because that's about the only way you can sort of regulate mm. what you do with yourself. Now, your mind is going to be going all sorts of places. You're thinking, when will I, well, will the food in my house last me two weeks? It may, it may not. You're already thinking, what happens after two weeks? Mm. What about my job? You're thinking of all sorts of variables. Now, exercise, meditation takes care of all of that. You must it keeps have you in time. the moment, is what you're yes. saying. But yes, I, I've also very, been told, I've also been told there's something called the happiness hormone, which gets yes, secreted during exercise. The endorphins, yeah. the endorphins absolutely. Right. Okay. Absolutely. They're very good for you. I mean, once you're on a high, it's like you finish and you want to you think and believe you can take on the world. And yes, you can. Mm. Because, I mean, there's nothing like good hormones running through your blood vessels. Yeah, so your final message to Nigerians listening both here in Nigeria but also in the diaspora, to your fans um, across the continent um, that, you know, are facing this pandemic, um, what are your final thoughts to, to them? Oh, final my final message? thoughts um, to my fans there is flying around. We need and must have a positive attitude because fear is something that cripples you. It causes anxiety, panic. And, and makes you feel as if you need to end it all, especially living in a place like Nigeria, where it's already hard sell to, to think that the citizens are having a comfortable life. But we cannot be like people who have lost hope. We must have a positive mindset that tomorrow will bring better in our individual lives and in the nation as a whole and across the world. Because now with this virus, we have seen that we are not so big we're not so far apart. We're not so different. This thing affects all of us. So indeed, we need to just do the right thing, keep the safety measures up and um, just pray and hope that it will be better tomorrow. As the world continues to fight the spread of COVID-19, we will continue to bring you more information and interviews on how Nigeria is battling the problem. Join us again for another edition of NOW. I am Kadria Ahmed. And I'm Funke Treasure.